because I had to send my computer a picture to share with all of you that I took this morning. I was on my way into the office this morning, and I was looking at this in my rearview mirror, and I just had to pull over and take a picture. Great is God's faithfulness, and every morning when we see that sunrise, when we see the sunrise, it should remind us of how faithful God is. There's no reason that sun should rise on any of us. None of us are worthy for God's favor or grace to be poured out upon, but because he has loving kindness and he has mercies, we are not consumed. And each morning, the sun rises to remind us that his mercies are new every morning. And it should cause us not to worship the sun, as happened so many times throughout history in so many different parts of the world, but it should cause us to worship the Creator, the one who created all things. I read a devotional this week by Warren Wearsby. He had a series of Advent messages on the verse in Isaiah 9 where it says that a prophecy of the Lord Jesus where it says that um, this child would come and the government would be upon his shoulder and his name should be called, perhaps you know the first word, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this is a little booklet of a series of messages he preached on each one of those points. And um, I just randomly pulled it off my shelf. My library's full of books I haven't yet even checked out. And so I just randomly pulled it off and I read that first chapter on He is Wonderful. And Warren Wearsby encouraged us as Christians to wonder again. And he cited how children marvel and wonder over the smallest of things. And how do we wonder in Jesus Christ? Do we know him as wonderful? And do we wonder at him? And he said, beyond just him as a person, but him and his work. One of our memory verses this year is that Jesus Christ is the one by whom all things consist. And when we see this, we can wonder at the sun. But really, you know what we're doing or should be doing is wondering at the one by whom all things consist. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite seasons is fall. You know why? I've probably told you this before. I've just been reminded of it. Is many years ago when I began to study, I was taking a course. Oh, it was 20 years ago now. Um, when I was taking a course on who God is, and we were studying the sovereignty of God and his divine decrees, and I had the opportunity, it was in the fall time I was taking the course, and I was sweating over the exam. And I went out, and I was walking at my grandparents, and my grandparents lived in an oak forest. And I began to wonder at something. And ever since then, in the fall season, I love to go to the oak forest and wonder at it. And it's a sound. You ever been in an oak forest and you hear this little crack up in the, up in the sky? Just this little, ever so slight little crack. And then you hear this, and it's quiet. And then you hear this. The acorn letting loose, falling through the leaves, then in air. Why do I love that? because it reminds me of the fact that God is sovereign. The scriptures tell us that he, by him, all things consist. And that acorn breaks loose in his sovereign will. It falls through those leaves just in its perfect way, and it goes 
in his sovereign time. And so everything he is sovereign over, and by him all things consist, and I love to wonder at that sound. Because it reminds me of how little small my problems can be, and I can glorify him that he is sovereign and divine, and by him all things consist. And that's one reason I love the fall season, and so many things I think it would be good for us to wonder at. Warren Wearsby encouraged us to to begin looking at life as little children. And then, I don't know which one of you kids it was, but that night, I went to bed, and you know what was sitting on my pillow? Both my wife and I had little gifts sitting on our pillows. And um, they were of insignificant value. Which one of you did it? It was Naomi. One of them was a painted rock, a little treasure. Now, when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, how of, you know, what's the value of this, this field rock that's been painted pink? And um, then another little, little artsy craft was on my pillow. And, um, you know, in my big grown-up way, I was tempted to just scoop them off and put them on the nightstand. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop for a moment, and I'm going to follow Warren Wearsby's advice, and I'm going to wonder for a moment and see why Naomi thought these were so wonderful to be able to give them as gifts to mommy and daddy on our pillows. And it caused me to sit back and say, how many more things can I sit back and wonder at and consider then my God, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose first title in that great prophecy is wonderful. Wonderful. And do I wonder over him day by day in my life? I've been encouraged in that, and I hope you too will be encouraged to day by day and moment by moment, and even in the simple sunrise. Oh, I love sunrises because I can wonder at them because they change every 30 seconds, and how we can wonder in the Creator who is painting such glory in the sky, and how much He cares about each one of us. So as we begin this morning, would you join me as we pray together again? Lord Jesus, You are wonderful. And this morning, we gather together to praise you. May we wonder at your glory. May we wonder at who you are. May we, in the midst of struggle and problems, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of not knowing what to do, help us to turn our eyes upon you, to behold you in your wonderfulness, and then to recognize who you are in our lives in this very day. Are you our Prince of Peace? Are you our mighty God? Are you our everlasting Father above time and space? May we know you today as we seek you. Teach us from your word and help us to learn how we might live, how we might function together as your church. And may you be glorified in all things, we pray. Amen. Take your copy of God's word with me, please, and turn to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 6. Just to recap the history quickly. The children of Israel had been warned of God to follow God. They ignored God. 
God warned them that if they didn't follow him and turn from their wicked ways, he would destroy their city, he would carry them away captive, and the very temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. The nation of Israel ignored God, and so in AD 70, that temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed, and the remainder of the majority of the people were carried away captive to Babylon. But in the midst of all of the judgment, God had promised that they would return, and God had promised that they would rebuild their temple. And you already know this because we've talked about it. God said it would be 70 years, and this is one of those things that we need to wonder at, is that he is the everlasting father. He is above time and space. And when he says that it's going to be 70 years that they're going to return, you can count on it. And it was 70 years later that they returned from the initial captivity. We won't go through all the different dates, but it was a 70-year captivity, and they came back, and they came back to rebuild that temple, didn't they? But they were discouraged. They were troubled. Fifteen years went by with no work on that temple until God raised up two men of God. Does anybody remember their names? Anybody remember their names? Toby? Ezra is one of the men. Well, actually, <clears throat> no, you're not right. Who are some of the other people? Toby, try again. Haggai is one of them. Yep, yes. Hosea was not one of them. Elijah. Zerubbabel was one of them. Who else? Zechariah was another one. And there was one other guy who needed encouragement. He was the high priest. Yes. Who? The angel? Daniel. Oh, you know what? Daniel's not mentioned, but I wonder if Daniel wasn't involved. Daniel disappears right about this time. Who else? Elsie. Joshua, that's right. So, Toby, this is the hard part. The name of this book is Ezra and Nehemiah, and they used to all be one book. And so we all think that these chapters are all about Ezra and Nehemiah, but they're not actually. The first six chapters of Ezra don't even talk about Ezra. In fact, some people believe Ezra wasn't even alive yet in the first part of this. Now, there's a whole debate about it. If you want to study it, we can talk about it. There's a really it's a fun debate. Isaac Newton, his brilliant brain, was obsessed over this particular topic because it was so exciting to him, and he was determined that the Bible was true, and so he couldn't put up with this discrepancy. But we won't go into all of that detail today. But the point is, is that Ezra chapter 1 through 6, Ezra is nowhere in the story. It's really the story of Zerubbabel, who was the prince, and Joshua, who was the high priest. It's about their story and their story to rebuild the temple. Now, Ezra, he shows up in verse 1 of chapter 7 because several years later, Ezra wants to come back and beautify the temple because Zerubbabel and Joshua only rebuilt it. Ezra comes and he beautifies it, and then the book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah coming and rebuilding the walls of the city. So there's three major events that take place in Ezra and Nehemiah. The first is Joshua and Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. Then, in chapter 7 through the end, is Ezra coming and beautifying the temple and also bringing forth the ministry of the Word of God in that place. And then Nehemiah is about Nehemiah coming and rebuilding the walls. These are the three major events. So Ezra chapters 1 through 6 
are all about Zerubbabel, the prince, although he had no regal power, but Zerubbabel, the prince, he was a descendant of David. He is an ancestor of Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, but he was not king. He was just of the royal line, and he was a leader. Zerubbabel, and then Joshua, who was the high priest, and the other two guys, we got them, Zechariah, and who said it? Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets that came and preached to them to finish building the temple. So, there was a captivity in 80, 80 not 80, 586 B.C., 70-year captivity. They returned. They rebuilt the temple. And when we come to Ezra chapter 6, we find out that they have finished building the temple. And look with me here. It tells us that this happened on February 14th, 516 B.C. In Ezra chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. It took them a four years after Haggai was preaching to finish it, but they finished it. And if you look at that, 516 is exactly 70 years from when it was destroyed. And then it tells us that the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. There was celebration. There was a party. They dedicated this rebuilt temple to the Lord with great joy and offered at the dedication of the house of God a hundred bullocks and 200 rams, 400 lambs for a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Now that's a lot of sacrifices, but you know it's minuscule compared to the sacrifices that were first offered in the days of Solomon. But nonetheless, it is what they had and who they were, and they began again the sacrifices. Now, this is very insignificant to me and to you because we don't take our animals and bring them to a building and have them slaughtered in front of us and offered up as a sacrifice. Right? We kind of are maybe even grossed out by this. But this was a big deal. This was a way that God had told his people to worship him. And they were obeying. And it was their first opportunity to do this in 70 years. They're also going to feed, celebrate the Passover for the first time in more than 70 years. But before we get to that, look with me at verse 18. There's something interesting here. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Now, does that mean anything to you? I hope it does. Does anybody want to explain for everyone else the significance of priests and the significance of Levites? Why are the Levites mentioned? Who are the priests? What is this all about? Anybody want to jump up and explain it? Brother Smith? 
Yep. So the priests were Levites, and the priests were of whose family? Does anybody remember? Nathaniel? Aaron's family. So the priests were all from Aaron's family, who was a Levite. And then the rest of the Levites were kind of servants, but they were more than servants, who helped the priests. But there was something else about the Levites they did, and that was a teaching ministry. They had a teaching ministry because it was their job to teach the law of God. Now, Moses was set up to have the Levites scattered throughout the land. So you know, you ever seen my map? Elijah, could you run and get my map of all the tribes in the back room? You've seen that map of all the tribes of Israel, and you have each of the different tribes of Reuben, Simeon, Levi's next, but there's no Levi on the map, is there? And, all, and then Judah and so forth. You have all of these 12 tribes. Well, there's no Levi block. And the reason is, is because the Levites had 48 cities that were scattered all throughout the land because their job was to be focused on proclaiming and teaching the law. So we have all these divisions, all the tribes here in their different places. Well, the Levites were scattered all over this place. Now, they were scattered all over the land, but they served in the temple. All of them did. And that's what's being talked about here as according to the service in their courses. So Levites were all across the land. And you might know a famous Levite in the early part of the New Testament. Do any of you guys know a, a, a Levite named Zechariah? And his wife, Elizabeth? Did you know that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, didn't live in Jerusalem? They were in one of these other cities and towns. But when we open the story, we find he is going into the temple. Why? Well, it was his turn to serve in Jerusalem in the temple. And so the Levites would rotate. Here the word is courses. They would have courses. They would take turns and rotate to Jerusalem for a period of time to serve and to help in the ministry of the temple in Jerusalem. And so you had the priests who were primarily over the sacrifices and details, and then you had the Levites who had the other ministries of the service of the temple, um, which included a music ministry, which included the, the cleaning and the orderliness of it, um, and if you actually get into some of the first century, like the days of Jesus, of the amount of, of all that was going on in the temple, it's amazing because they were dealing with hundreds and thousands sometimes of sacrifices every single day. And that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of animals. That's a lot of stuff to clean. It would be pretty tough. And so there were these courses. And Levites from across the country would take turns coming to Jerusalem and serving and ministering in the temple. And so that's what's established here. It was a set, well, it wasn't really established here in Ezra. It was established, you see here, verse 18, as it is written in the book of Moses. It's way back in the days of Moses in Numbers when this was officially set up by Moses. Now they're resetting it up, and it's according to courses. They take turns. They rotate. Now, why is that? Why do you think they take turns? I have a few ideas. Did you know that it's never really explained why? 
never reasons given why. But I can think of some reasons. You see, have you ever done something over and over and over and you seem to be the only one who does it and you have this thing called burnout? Burnout. This is part of what it was to prevent, I believe, burnout. It was also to give opportunity for more people to be involved, more people to be a part of the service of the temple. And so you had these courses. Now, times have changed, haven't they? Did any of you bring a he-goat this morning to be sacrificed? None of you? How many of you even have a he-goat? Well, we could set up a merchant out here, and you could buy it when you get to church every week. Boy, that would be a lucrative business, potentially. That was part of a problem, by the way. None of you brought a sacrifice, or did you? We still worship, don't we? What sacrifices do we bring? What ministry or service do we bring? You see here, it says that the priests and their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God. We have a service. We have a service of God today. What do you bring today to your service for God? What is it? Well, it's totally different. Let me give you some other news. You may not know this, but if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a priest. Did you know that? You are a priest. Now, we better be careful because some people might be confused by that. You're not a priest like these priests. These were distinctly of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. They were priests of the nation of Israel. You are a priest of a different order. You are a priest with your high priest being the Lord Jesus Christ, who is after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. It's a different priesthood. And every one of you are priests. You don't have to be of a particular family. You don't have to be of a particular nation. See, you don't have to be a Jew to be a priest. You could be anything. Just a human being who is a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be of any particular family or tribe or ethnicity to be a priest. You get to be a priest by believing in Jesus and he becoming your high priest. And then you get privileges with that. Amazing privileges. You get to have the privilege to come into the very throne room of grace, the very throne room of God. You can pray directly to God and you have direct access to him. Oh, that's amazing. You see, in this, in this temple even here, not even the majority of the priests in fact, only one of the priests could even enter into the most holy place. And then only once a year, and we just passed that date here, the Day of Atonement, when he would come in with a sacrifice and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, you know, that was a pretty special privilege and an opportunity for one priest once a year. But we get a privilege not just to walk through a veil in a tent or in a building into a holy place. We have power through Jesus Christ to walk into the very throne room of grace, God's throne, and give our petitions, our requests, our needs to Him. And also, we can have sacrifices of praise. There are many other sacrifices spoken of that the Christian can give of service to one another and to God. They're referred to as sacrifices. And the most significant sacrifice 
that is referred to in Romans chapter 12 and the first few verses there. Do you know what that sacrifice is? Me, my body, a living sacrifice. You know, every day we can and should be living the ministry of a priest. Every day we should be offering up sacrifices of praise and sacrifices of service to our eternal, glorious God. Every day, every day, not just on Sundays. All the time be offering up sacrifices and ourselves a living sacrifice each day, saying, Lord, I present myself to you. Brother Reisinger has shared with us several lessons on this idea of, it's not idea, this privilege, which is a reasonable service to present ourselves up a living sacrifice. How can God use me today? How can I serve him today? I am this living sacrifice so I asked you all where your sacrifices are. You know what? You all could have raised your hand. And when I said, well, where is it? You could have gone like this. So did any of you bring a sacrifice today? Who? What? Yeah, me. Each one of us are sacrifices. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't that amazingly different from what was in the Old Testament compared to what is now? Oh, it's so much better. Why is it so much better? Because Jesus is so much better. And Jesus fulfilled all of that law. And the whole book of Hebrews is all about showing us how Jesus and what he has accomplished for us is so much better. And so we have a ministry. Will you take your Bibles and turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The book of 1 Corinthians is written to a church, New Testament church. Remember, things are different in the church than they were in the Old Testament. But you know, some things are the same. Not quite the same, similar. Some things are similar. I should be proper in that. Not the same, similar. And 1 Corinthians 14 comes right after chapter 13. Anybody know what we call chapter 13? What do we call it? The love chapter, that's right. It's the love chapter. Does anybody know what we call chapter 12? not quite so famous. Spiritual gifts, yes. Or I, used, I like to call it the body chapter because the body of Christ with the spiritual gifts that we have. Then into chapter 13, then into chapter 14, a lot of it's tied into the concept and idea of spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 has to do with, if we look at the very last verse in talking about the church, if we look at the very last verse, verse 40, what's it say? Let all things be done decently and in order. Hmm. Well, what's that talking about? Well, we can learn a little bit about it if we come back in the chapter. And we look at... Um, and we look at verse 26. There is a question. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an inspiration. Let 
all things be done unto edifying. Meaning, we come together, and we all have different things that we are doing in the church, different ministries, and it needs to be careful that all things are done unto edifying. It all gets wrapped up in verse 40, let all things be done decently in order, but here it shows us the priority of it, the inside part of it. How are we building up each other? The goal is, is to build up. The goal is not to do my thing or to do somebody else's thing or to do this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing. The goal is to build us up together. It is the goal of edifying. Perhaps you know a famous verse over in Ephesians chapter 4 where it speaks of Jesus Christ giving gifts unto his church. The gifts in Ephesians 4 are people. If you read there in Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, In Jesus, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of of God. And so God has given to his church people for the perfecting of the saints, for the building up of his body. And so when we come together, Paul asked the church at Corinth this question in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, that all things be done unto edifying. What you see is going on here is actually he's asking a question because there's kind of a problem in the church. Everybody's got their own thing. And it seems that they're talking over each other and they're doing stuff on top of each other. And they're not really doing it for edifying. They're doing it for something else. Now, he doesn't have any problem with these things. In fact, these are all good things. But how are they being done? Are they being done decently and in order? And are they being done into edifying? He goes on and says in verse 27, if any man speak in an untoned tongue, hear that amazing miracle that was unique in the early church of when people could speak in another language that they never learned or studied and just be able to speak it in a miraculous way. He says this, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. And if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Here there's no sense in um, speaking in a language no one can understand why you have this gift of being able to speak in a language you've never studied and never learned before. And so you stand up and you start going on gibbering on it. And everybody's sitting here like, wow, that's impressive. Don't understand a word he's saying. And there's nobody there to interpret. Well, that's not to edifying. It actually comes across as somebody who's just a show off. Oh, they're taking a gift, an amazing, miraculous gift, and they're turning it into a look at me. And Paul struggles with that because he says, oh, no, no, there needs to be an interpreter. Otherwise, it's not for edification. Edification is the goal. But in all that we read there, did you notice a little word that popped up in there that sounded familiar from back in Ezra? Did you see that little word? What was it? I heard one person say it. What was that little word that pops up in there that's the same word back in Ezra? Course. By course. By course. Hmm. The church has courses too? Well, there is. This is why we would have an order of service, practically. But it doesn't mean that there's some rigidness to it. We've got to be careful about that. Do we have a course? 
So let me ask the question, how do we, how do we have courses, do we have courses in this church? Anybody have any ideas? Yes or no? Nobody wants to say? Let me show you something that some of you have seen that um, might trigger your memory of something. This look familiar to any of you? This is a model of courses. Now, we got to be very careful with courses. Do you know why? Because there is a danger of over-programming. There's a danger of over-organizing. There's a danger of turning it all into a service of things and busyness and activities instead of ministry. Ministry courses would be a good thing. Ministry busyness would be a bad thing. So there's some legitimacy to this. But I'd like you to look at something on the screen, and you all see this. Do you see each week there? What's around each week? Maybe you can't see it quite so clearly up there. What's around each week? A box. A box. We're going to have to work on this design. Because the body of Christ can't be put in a box. Right? There is no box for the body of Christ. We are an organism. We are a living, breathing, moving organism. And so you can't put us in a box. And you might think, well, these are the only courses or these are the only ministries of the church. Oh, no, they're not. I this morning witnessed something, and I hope I don't embarrass anybody. Can I have permission to share that picture? I didn't ask for permission. I just took a picture this morning. Um, may I share that picture? Where's, where's Shamar? There you Can I share that picture? Yeah, let me show you a picture I took this morning. You guys know what's happening here? You ever seen Mr. Morris back there walking? This poor man, he has trouble walking. Be careful, random kids. Don't run around Mr. Morris. You might knock him over, and if he falls on top of you, ouchie. Now, I'm not telling you to avoid him. Please go up and say hi and shake his hand. But um, please be careful. Don't knock him over. Be careful walking around this guy. But you know, when you have troubles like he has, it's hard to carry stuff and walk all at the same time. So you see what's going on here? Nobody said nothing to Shamar, but Shamar just showed up right there at the front door, and you know what he's doing? He's grabbing the food to carry it down to the basement. You know what? You can't put that service on a spreadsheet. That's a ministry. That is a beautiful ministry, which is looking for how can I serve? How can I serve? It's a ministry. I want to ask us all to delete the box, to delete the box and to say, here am I, a living sacrifice 
eyes. Lord Jesus, for you. Every day. But when I come to church, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm here, Lord Jesus. Use me however you want to use me. Open my eyes that I can see people, that I can see needs that I can meet. You know what? What you see up here doesn't take any class. Do you have to take a class for this? No. You, you have to take any courses. You have to go to seminary for this. By the way, seminary sometimes deletes us from people. Mm. No, there's no class for this. There's no training for this. Well, maybe there is a training for it. It's a training that we each need to let Jesus open our eyes, teach us every day how I can present myself a living sacrifice. Lord Jesus, how can I be used today? Look and watch. In fact, I got a challenge for all of you today. Will you open your eyes? Now, I'm not saying any of you are sleeping. But will you open your eyes and will you ask Jesus to show you people? Will you notice people? Will you watch people? And will you ask Jesus to show you ways that you can serve one another? Serve others. Be a ministry to people. And let's look for it. I'm not asking you to look for things to do or activities. I'm asking you to look for people. And what can you do for people? And by the way, don't forget the most important person of all. Who's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. How can you be Jesus today and every single day? There are legitimate needs for courses. We want to make sure that we're not scrambling and all chaotic trying to figure out who's going to run the sound today. Let's arrange that ahead. Let's plan that ahead. That's a good thing. But you know what? Most of ministry can't be put in a box. It can't be planned ahead. It can't be scheduled. It can't be put on a spreadsheet. It can't be done by the pastor or by the deacons. It's got to be done by one another. We have to be looking to see how we can fit fill needs. Owen, Elijah, could you guys come help me with something? I have some prints for you. I like everyone to get this because not everybody knows what these are. So let's make sure most everybody gets one, at least two per family. These are our courses. And I want you to see it. Things that we have. And then we're going to look at the back of it. These are things that we have identified in the church that we schedule and organize according to courses. And you can look at it, and you'll notice that some of it is blank. Now, we don't have to do it this way. Do you know that? We don't have to do it this way. In fact, somebody recently sent me a link and said, you know, there's this cool website that has all this organization of this and that and that and this, and maybe we should do this as a church. Maybe we should. This is what we've been using right now to just show different things and different ministries that we have. Let me switch back on the screen to this. I'd like to explain this so you all know what it is. 
We normally tape one of these right up here on the front, and there's not one there. And it's also posted online, and you get a link up to it, different people in ministry. These are different jobs, you might say, each week that need to be done. Now, what are all those colors? Oh, nerdy colors. We're at the top right, there's a legend. If it's red, it means that there's something that's not resolved. Somebody has to cancel, somebody's going on vacation, something's got to change. If it turns orange, that means that there is a, something that needs to change and there is a resolution pending. There's a plan pending. So you can tell at the bottom of this page it was printed last night and it was still pending who was going to run sound today at that time. And if you look at the spreadsheet live up there, you notice it's all turned yellow. <laughs> I love it when it's all yellow. When it's orange or red, that means we gotta, there's something that needs to be worked out before the service. And sometimes things don't go yellow until Sunday morning. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's because of poor planning, and that's sometimes okay. But um, there's lots of things here. And so you can see what they are. So what are these? What's a video lead? Well, a video lead is the guy that sits up in that room back there, and he switches between the different cameras, and then he makes sure that all of the files get saved at the end of the day and everything's in order. That's the video lead. What's the children's class? Well, during the morning message, in the room at the end of the hallway upstairs, there's a class there. This is who is leading that class. The kids' song time and the kids' song time piano. This morning, did you see Brother Fleming and Rachel were leading that? Here, that's arranged ahead. So they have time to think and prepare. Mr. De Mr. Um, Fleming, would you like me to just call on you some random week and have you come up and lead it, or would you like to have notice and be put on a course? He prefers the course. Some people can just jump up and lead it, and praise God for those people, because sometimes people get sick, and there needs to be a last-minute jump in, fill in. But many people would prefer a course, and that's the situation here. Well, it's kind of interesting, because Elijah here is supposed to be up at the camera, but he's not. Did he move? Oh, look, he's looking at it, and he knows he's supposed to be up there. <laughs> and you see here, Bruce was originally scheduled for sound, but Ethan's been updated here on that. Look at the AM service column. We have a song leader. Again here, this is a question where last week we needed a last-minute substitute in the afternoon service, and here again, Mr. or yesterday, last Sunday morning, and Mr. Dietrich was the substitute. And, and when did you find out you were the substitute? Sunday morning, did you prefer that? <laughs> he did this. Because he wants to think through the songs, he wants to pray through the songs, and he wants to be prepared to be able to lead them. And so, praise God he did it. He was that guy who said, here am I, use me, pray for me, though I haven't thought through the songs. And so we prayed for him in the room, in the office before we came out here, and he wonderfully led the song. So today, Lincoln's here. And he's going to lead the songs. And we have two pianos over here. The grand piano we call the lead piano, and piano two we call piano two. Well, what are those differences between them? Well, one is the one who has to play the introduction and kind of leads the, sometimes leads the song leader. I know that's backwards, but sometimes it's true. And um, that's the lead piano. But the, it's a harder job, and it needs more skill, and it needs some consistency. But the second piano why, you can only play the melody, and that would be sufficient, because you're just backup and reinforcement, and it's just that ministry that's there. No less important than lead piano, but it's right there. That's piano one and two. Then we have specials, and you get to see what's coming up later today. With the Fleming family, you know, it, sometimes we can say, hey, well, 
well, does such and such a family or such and such a person come and do a special? We don't do that very often because most people don't like to be put on the spot like that. So it's kind of put on a course here so that there can be some investment and preparation for it. And basically, the afternoon service is the same, except for you notice every week we have a missionary prayer letter. And did you notice last week we also fumbled up on that one and there was nobody arranged to do it? And so, well, we just scrambled up and picked one up and put it up there. And so these are the different, the different courses to accomplish a Sunday morning service. And if you look at this, you'll notice that there's some blanks here. It's because we haven't yet either had volunteers or sign-ups or assignments for these weeks yet. And so there they are. And if you think you can fit into one of these or like to learn one of these, because some of them do require training and experience and skill, you know, if you're going to play lead piano, you're going to have to have some skill, but maybe you already do have that skill and talent. Volunteer. Volunteer to put in the course so you can have opportunity to be a part of the courses. And then there's these different things that are coming up. This afternoon, we're going to come back and talk about this. But even the question, are we going to do a special Thanksgiving service this year? Are we going to do a special service around Christmas time? If so, what are we going to do? Let's talk about it. In fact, we're going to talk about it this afternoon. We're almost out of time. So can you flip it over and look at the back? Do you see the box? I clipped off the bottom of the box, didn't I? To make a point for all of us, you can't put the body of Christ in a box. And so when you come on Sunday and you say, well, there's no place for me in the box, I guess that's, hmm, nope, that's not true. Remember, remember that picture of Shamar just a minute ago? Open our eyes. Let us see. I'll just read this, what I've written here. The body of Christ is an organism. It is not an organization. But things should be done decently and in order. That's according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we also noted there are even courses there. Most things happen organically and require little to no organization by those who are walking in the Spirit and are presenting themselves a living sacrifice. The key between this organic living sacrifice and organization is a hard balance sometimes to find. We need to be looking for it. Some in the body are really good at organizing and planning ahead. Ding, 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 ding. That's kind of a description of me. I'm like that. You know who I get it from? I get it from my dad. How many of you were at my dad's funeral and heard about my dad's quad paper? You all hear about that quad paper? This is my dad's Bible case. He's been frustrated for months that it was lost. He couldn't find it. So I was cleaning up his office, and I found it tucked away behind the couch, a nice safe place. You know, you can learn a lot about people by what they carry in their Bibles. <laughs> Look what I found. I found one of Dad's photocopied um, quad papers, and it's just like Jonathan described it. Charles, his name is here, and you see the list? And Jonathan, list, Virgil, list, and let's open it up. Here we go. Ruth, list, I always find it funny. She only has two, but anyway. Stephen, list, Timothy, list, and keep going. Oh, Nathaniel, list, Carice, list, Lawrence, list. Where's Joel? He's not on here. But you turn around, and there's a dad list, and then there's a packing list, and then there's a car list. This is the way dad did a lot of things. This is the way he functioned. He was a planner. Now, I picked up a degree of this. Boy, you ought to meet my sister, Carice. We used to call her the Franklin girl. Do you know why? because she loved Franklin Covey planning system. 
But you know what can be really troublesome about the Franklin girls or the Franklin boys? Is when Franklin rules over the spirit. When your Franklin planner rules over the spirit. Yesterday, I had an appointment with somebody, and they texted me and said, I'm late because of this, this, this. And you know what happened? He was late because the spirit overruled the plan. Always our plans have to be subjective to the Spirit of God. And the same is true when we look at this, when we look at all of these things. The body needs both people. They talk about the nerds and the free spirits. I think God designed people to be that way. It happens sometimes in marriage just like perfectly, like there's the nerds and the free spirits. All of those have to, are needed, but they're needed under the, under the Spirit of God. Neither can be despised. They're both very important. I ask you this morning to consider Think outside the box. Ministry is not in this box of the courses you see. So much more. Think outside the box. Look around. And don't look for things. Don't look for jobs. Don't look for tasks. Look for people. Who do you see? And what needs do you see? In fact, I have a little job for you. At the top of this page, you'll see a blank course schedule, so to speak. Instead of writing down who does what, I have, a, I have a, a, little, a little homework assignment for you. Write down who the jobs are for. You know what I mean by that? Instead of writing down who does the job, write down who is the job for. So Paul's up there working away in that sound booth, in that video booth up there. So his name is on there as the job guy doing it today. But who is he serving? Who is he serving in that little room back there? That's the question I want you to think about. I want you to answer it. When the guy's up here song leading, who is he serving? Who is his ministry to? Who are the people? Not the people who are doing the job, but who is the service to? And for you to think about it, and who are they to? We're going to come together this afternoon, and I'd like to share our thoughts, share our ideas, so you have all day to think about it. You know, as you're sitting there seeing people do things and looking for yourself of things to do, who are the people? Which then leads us further down this page to some other questions that are here. Are there other ministry courses that we could or should add to our ministry course schedule? Are there other ministry courses that you see as you look for people and as you look at needs are there other courses that we should have? Well, let me put another thing here. Are there some courses that we should delete? Are there courses we should delete? Are there courses that we should add? And then what are the other ministries? What are other things that are, you see happen? The little ones. Look for the little ones. Look for the big ones. What are they all? All of them. And then what are the everybody ministries? I'm going to give you a little clue. There's lots of different ministries every day that everybody should be doing. I'm going to give you one little suggestion. Did you know that it's not the usher's job to greet the new people? That's an everybody ministry. When you're looking for people and you see somebody you don't know, that's when you can do the everybody ministry and you can smile and go greet them and introduce yourself to them and most importantly, introduce them to Jesus if they don't know who Jesus is. What are the everybody ministries? And then a question. What are my gifts and talents? The Spirit of God has filled me. What talents has he given me that I can use, both in the assembly, the church, 
and in every day as I yield myself a living sacrifice? What has the Spirit of God given me in skills and talents and also in gifts? It's a whole other topic for us to come back and talk about the gifts. But what are they? And am I taking those talents and those gifts and am I burying them? Or am I investing them in the kingdom of heaven? Am I investing them in heaven? And so I ask you to think about this here. Look at this. And throughout the day, just start scribbling things in. And this afternoon, we're going to come back together, and I'd like for us to share some of the things we've observed, some of the things we see, and how can we look at the body of Christ and get ourselves out of the box, break the box open. What is the body, and how is the ministry of it? Are there courses? What things should be courses, could be courses, and what things ought not to be courses? How can we do that to the glory of God? So take that sheet. Were there any extras of those back there, Elijah? If you didn't get one, they're on the Welcome Center. So I, I think he had two per family. You know, even kids. Kids, this is everybody. What are things? Grab a sheet, take some notes, and we'll talk about it this afternoon. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to serve you. We thank you for the privilege of being filled with your Spirit. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come to you like we are right now, direct access. We thank you for the privilege of being able to serve one another. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. May we worship you in spirit and in truth that you might be glorified and have the preeminence in all things. May we follow you as our good shepherd. We praise you in this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.